A note. Following advice from work-life imbalance may lead to action being taken by HR, your family, the authorities, or higher powers. Welcome to Work-Life Imbalance, an advice show focusing on workplace and lifestyle issues. Any resemblance to actual advice, living or dead, or actual wisdom is purely coincidental. I'm Frank Eastman, your horrible manager. And I'm Derek Lewis, your lovable office mate. All right, uh, Frank, you want to get it right into the daily stand-up? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, all right. Uh, let me set the stage a little bit of what I want to talk about. All right. All right. So you and your family, you're getting takeout. Um, you know, you're ordering a normal human amount of food. You go to okay. pick up your food, and lo and behold, there's a certain number of uh, cutlery sets. You know, forks, knives, whatever. One thing that bugs the hell out of me is when... My wife and I, who are only two people, right? We go to these restaurants and order what I would consider a human amount of food <laughs> uh, for two people. <laughs> you know, just like an entree, maybe an appetizer, uh, maybe an extra side order of something that we just wanted to try. Uh, and lo and behold, we get home and open up the box, and there's four or five fucking <laughs> sets of silverware in there. Like that? How? That is. It is. I don't know what they. I don't know how to react to that. Like, should I be as offended as I am? Because that basically is saying the food that you ordered <laughs> should be <laughs> for four or five people. You have ordered Yet enough for five people. you are consuming it as only two. Exa- oh, yeah. No, I've I've had that happen. Yeah. I mean, I've got a, a fairly sizable family, but sometimes right. it'll be like, how many fucking people did you think I had? <laughs> it's like you, you gave me ten silverware packets. <laughs> what do you my god no but uh yeah this happens to us all the time and uh you know occasionally they'll they'll get it right it's like yeah it's just you know two two forks and spoons whatever uh but occasionally we'll get that one or like with uh chinese food whenever you get uh get fortune cookies oh um, yeah like they'll and with fortune cookies it's slightly more ambiguous because are they just being uh, kind and giving us just a bunch of extra fortune cookies for us to you know feel more fortunate, um, or do they genuinely think that this food is for five or six people? <laughs> Which is a huge distinction. It, it um, is. And one thing that I hadn't considered before, which is just now occurring to me, um, that's that actually seems like it would be a little bit stressful from the restaurant side because you're walking a really thin tightrope. Oh yeah. Um, because you get somebody like me who is offended by them assuming <laughs> that that I'm eating for five people, um, or you get the other the other asshole that's like, well, you know, this is food for four, and you only gave us two forks. How rude! <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it if if I were to be uh, you know in the place of the person working in the restaurant, I would probably err on the side of putting too many in. Right. Uh, just so that you don't have somebody who's coming back. Um, That's true. That's you know, true. I think it's it's probably less. I, I don't know if they're worried about 
fat shaming, you know, where it's like, yes, we're going to put six sets of cutlery in here because that fat bastard's ordered yet again entirely too much. He needs to know exactly how many people we think this should feed. Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, also, uh, well, for one, I would I would. I would say that that would keep me up at night, like that decision of, you know, somebody comes in, gets food, and they leave, and I've given them, you know, six forks, and they're saying, oh, me and my wife will enjoy this. Uh, that that would that would haunt me. You just watch them walk <laughs> because, out the door like, they're going to no. get home, and they're going to see this pile of silverware that that are making that's making assumptions. But, you know, another thing that uh, that really gets to me uh, is you see uh, either like from a barbecue joint or like a cake place or something that says, you know, such and such dish or such and such cake feeds four to six. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know if you realize how much I can eat. <laughs> it feeds four like, to six or me. Right. Mm. Exactly. Uh, you know, and I'm not not exactly chowing down on my own cake every day. Um not that I couldn't, but I, I do have some restraints. See previous um, episodes. Right, exactly. Um but uh but yeah, you you look at like um you know, like some barbecue or something like that, and uh, it'll say, you know, feeds three, and I'm like, hmm. That 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 will feed just me. Like that sounds like food enough for just me. So so I can't tell if they're being judgmental by saying, you know, you should feel bad if you ate a three a three person a family meal by yourself. <laughs> I think for a lot of this, it's also you know uh, these days you've got to put caloric and and all that sort of content in things right. and have to have that knowledge to hand. And I think for some <laughs> shit that's terrible for you, they're like, yeah, this slice of cake feeds uh seven. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> it's seven people at a hundred calories a pop. But it's like, but it's the size of like a pack of playing cards. It's like, yes, yes. seven people's worth of calories. Each each of you gets yeah. a spoonful. That's what we had designed it to be. And, you know, I, I am thankful that they put the, the caloric values on all the fast food and stuff like that nowadays. Uh, but sometimes that will seriously bite me in the ass because there are some certain sandwich places where you know, they are just super high calorie. I don't want to put any one particular sandwich place on blast, but uh, but yeah, you walk in there and firehouse. You know, we're the, looking at you. It, that is exactly what I was thinking. Um, okay, so we are putting firehouse on blast. Good. Um, you walk in and on their large subs that are you know no sides, no nothing, just by themselves are like fifteen hundred, eighteen hundred calories. Oh. Uh, like I have no shit. I have walked into Firehouse twice in the last few months. Thought I knew what I wanted, read the menu, got depressed and walked out. <laughs> <laughs> like I I am not even joking. Uh one time I was by myself and the second time I was with Jessica. And we go in, we look at the menu and, you know, the the one that I want is probably something like beefy cheesy you know, something, you know, something yeah. tasty. And uh, I look at it, and yeah, the, just for, you know, w- one sandwich for one person, you know, their their normal size is like 1,300, 1,400 calories. The, uh, the fully engulfed apartment complex sub. 
Yeah. I, uh, there's something about ignorance is bliss in there. Like if I don't know how bad it is, I can get away with, you know, tricking myself into thinking, Oh, it's only, you know, a few hundred calories. But, uh, seeing that, that big, nearly 2000 calorie sandwich on the board that I, I literally just walk out. Yeah. I, I was, there's a, there's a firehouse not too far from where I live. And I actually, you know, we were driving past and I was like, it has been literal, I would say at least a year, if not two years since I've been into a firehouse. And I realized it was for pretty much that reason. (laughs) It's like once, once I'm trying in any way, shape or form to be cognizant of the trash that I'm just shoveling down my hole, I'm like, I, I could eat all day. (laughs) <laughs> for for one of those sandwiches. And, yeah, and not consume that many calories. I oh. mean, if it's a 2,000-calorie sandwich, that's, like, supposed to be the complete caloric intake for, you know, like a standard average person, which, you know, right. I am not. Right. But still, I, I just, I can't necessarily bring myself to do it because it's just, you know, it's sitting there staring at you. You, It's in the back <laughs> of your mind while you're trying to eat the sandwich, and you can no longer enjoy it. I have right. to imagine that kind of actually fucks with their uh, their profit line, right? Like it's. I mean, I, I it has to, because I mean, if I'm sitting there looking at a sandwich, and you know, I, I do have a tendency to like, you know, just just literally <laughs> open unhinge my jaw and, and eat an entire sandwich in one bite. Um, but no, I you know, if I'm sitting there and I'm eating the sandwich, and I you know, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, this is going to take me like you know, fifteen bites to to finish this sandwich. That is literally 100 calories, 100 calories per bite of this sandwich. Sandwich uh, serves 15. It's not a calculation I enjoy making. No, I'm there with you. It's uh, the the fact that they're putting, and, and it's it's one of those things, it's um, the panopticon effect. Like if you know, right. if, if, if you feel like someone's watching you, you tend to behave better. And mm-hmm. if you are watching yourself you tend to behave better, you know, put in quotes here because it's sort of societally better. Um, but if, if you're doing something like just journaling your food entries or whatever, or, or looking (laughs) at the, you know, you have to see the number next to the food and you're like, shit, that's not the price. That's, (laughs) that's the fucking calories that are in this thing. You'll find something else to eat. Like, I, I suppose it's good for, you know, the rapidly expanding American waistline. But at the same time, I used to like those Big Macs. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, that's, that's, that is another thing that I, I don't really think about that often. Uh, but it, I, I do it unconsciously. Is that I go up to the, the counter and, you know, all the calories are posted on the board. And, you know, the, when I walk up there, that person knows that I'm making a conscious choice to make a terrible decision. Uh, and that affects, you know, the, the rapport that I build with the, the, the person at the, at the register. Um, I was a, a few years ago, I was an, I was an, at an Arby's, uh, we're, we're just putting all sorts of restaurants on blast. This episode, um, <laughs> we're coming for you fast food industry. Yeah. And th- this, this had nothing to do with like the, the fact that it was an Arby's, but, uh, you know, I was getting a getting a meal there, 
And all I wanted was just um, like one of the one of the big roast beef sandwiches. Like that's it. I didn't I didn't want any fries, no nothing. And I go up there, and I say, "Yeah, I'll have the 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 max beef or max beef and cheddar, whatever it was." And the the cashier just kind of looks at me. And she goes, "You know that's fifteen hundred calories, right?" Oh my god! I was like, "What the fuck? <laughs> you are listen like, here." I'm, I was with other people, and like <laughs> the shame that I felt in that moment was, oh my god! Oh, oh wow. I could have just, I could have just, just did the uh, 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 poltergeist thing and just suck myself into my body and disappear, and I would have been perfectly happy with it. Excuse oh my me god! While I open a hole in the floor and you know just pull the rest of the restaurant in after me, I'm, I'm right. done forever. Oh man. And like I said, that was before the calories were were posted. But uh, that that moment, uh, I, I've not had one since. But that has scarred me for life because that that woman felt that it was her obligation as an employee of Arby's to inform me that <laughs> of the terrible choice I was about to make. As a duly uniformed employee of Arby's Incorporated, I am forced to inform you. <laughs> You know that is fifteen hundred calories, right? Oh man, that was that was mortifying. Oh jeez, that's that is terrible. <laughs> but at the same time, looking back, like, oh man, and I ordered something else. Like, <laughs> it had the intended effect. Like, I ordered like uh, I'll like have a the sm- the small side salad, <laughs> please. Like, I could see the look of approval on her face. She was like, "Yes, that's a better choice." <laughs> It's like you don't know my life. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You you don't know me. Man, that is terrible. <laughs> All right, you about ready for the deep dive? Yeah, we can go to the deep dive. The deep dive is kind of topical right now, especially given uh the state of things in the United States. Okay. Uh I was going to discuss coming to work sick. Oh no. So right now oh. We're in the middle of, officially the CDC has declared it a flu pandemic. Right. Um, and people are, I mean, it, it's a serious illness. There there have been fatalities and stuff like that, but just people everywhere are getting sick. And right now, even I'm recovering yeah. from having gotten sick. Uh, I'm still not at 100%. And so one of the things, uh, what I wanted to discuss is what are the, you know, office etiquette around coming to work uh, sick with the goddamn plague. Right. I I think that's kind of a, a, once again, another kind of tough tightrope to walk. uh, Because I know there are some industries, um, service industries, uh, you know, factories, stuff like that. There are going to be places where... The bosses don't want to tell you, you know, don't come to work if you're sick because, you know, that's going to hurt their productivity. That's going to negatively affect something about the business. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't feel that it's that it's untoward to say that that is, you know, like, frankly, completely irresponsible. Because, you know, in, in a place like where we work, where, you know, it's a, you know, a software shop where, you know, you, you can work remotely, you can... Um, push stuff off for a day and things not burn to the ground. I mean, we 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 have a lot of privileges because I mean, where we work, we essentially have unlimited sick. We have the ability to work from home, mm-hmm. and we've got an on-site clinic. Right. 
that's the on-site clinic is one of those things that um sort of is a double-edged sword to me <laughs> okay uh and i've run into this because it's like i know that i'm sick i don't necessarily want to come to the office where i can expose other right. people but the cheapest and fastest way that i can get treatment is through the in-office right. clinic to get to which you have to wade through at least a few people on your way to the to the to the clinic Right. I have physically come to the office. I'm touching stuff in the office to get to the clinic. <laughs> At that point, I am, you know, I- I- unless I'm being very careful, which I usually am, I'm right. spreading my terrible fucking germs all over the place while I go to the uh, the office clinic. Well, I mean, honestly, what they need to do is, uh, you know, screw having like a drive through window or something. Put a fucking airlock. <laughs> that, that, that literally, you know, on the outside is the germs. And on the inside is some hermetically uh, sealed chamber, uh, and you have to pass through this, you know, this this plethora of like sprays and antiseptics and stuff like that. And at the end of the little conveyor belt, uh, you have to put on a fucking uh, NBC suit. Yeah, a hazmat suit. Go, having the clinic in a place where they can physically, where patients can in, infect people on the way to it. Uh, is yeah, that's bad. That's real bad. Yeah, it it seems a little, little counterproductive in terms of, uh, like preventing illness in the office. Not that I'm knocking the the in office clinic because that oh, no, has not at been all. super awesome. It's been a huge boon. Uh, yeah, for just like the little the little things, you can go in there uh, regular. You know, they do the blood panels and stuff like that. Yeah, and, all that, all that and all of that great. stuff is really nice. Yeah, it's it's really cool because, you know, what would ordinarily be I've got to take several hours off of work to go to the doctor to get a blood draw is 30 minutes that I run downstairs to the clinic or whatever. And that's, right. that's saving a lot of time. Yeah, yeah, no negativity meant. I'm just saying that what I think we should convince a lot of our coworkers to do is to drop a suggestion in the, into the suggestion box that says, no, all it says is just, Airlock hazmat suits for clinic. That's it. That's all I want. That sounds good. I like it. Oh, but no, I, I it's especially poignant now with the the fact that you know there, there is a literal epidemic uh, of flu on our hands, um, and you know we we've had, I mean, this last like two or three week period has been either having people out. And not being able to, uh, you know, physically enter, you know, some of them can't even like get off the couch. Like they're physically unable to, to move. Um, and on the other hand, we also have people that we are intentionally telling them to leave the premises because they're showing signs of flu. Yeah. And I, and I think that's, I think at least that's good, but then again, we're salaried. So, mm-hmm. you know, again, that's, that's that place of privilege that we sort of are sitting at. If, if we were hourly employees, I imagine we might feel a little bit differently about it, where it's like, well, if I don't come to work, I don't get paid. That's a good point. But uh, for salaried people, there's there's not really any excuse to not, you know, uh, at least for people in our industry and, and with the, the privileges that we have in terms of, you know, plenty of sick leave the ability to work remote when needed and and stuff like that i think definitely if you're coming to work and you have those assets at your beck and call 
I'm going to go out on a limb and say you're being an asshole. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly because just from like a business perspective and, and obviously I'm, I'm a software guy. I'm not, you know, I don't have an MBA. Like I, I'm not, I'm not a uh, business guru, uh, but it, it has to like from a bottom line perspective, like it has to be a better decision to send one person home than to lose the pro- productivity of an entire freaking floor of people who got sick from that one person. Like it, it has to be a better decision, doesn't it? Uh, it definitely is a better decision. I mean, that's why they put things like this in place when they have the opportunity to do so. To tell people to, you know, work from home, to tell people to not come in when they're sick is because, you know, the lost productivity of one person is less than the lost productivity of however many other people that they're going to infect. Right. I don't know what the, uh, necessarily what the R value is on influenza, but I imagine it's not bad. Yeah. Uh, especially this one, because it's been going around like, <laughs> well, the plague. Yeah, and, and <laughs> you know, you know, we work in an office, we have a lot of people around, uh, and we, you know, during the midst of this pandemic, we had that big planning meeting where we were in the room with a uh, hundred people, maybe a little yeah. more. Uh, there were some folks that came sick and and had to be like almost physically removed because they were unable to leave of of their own volition uh at one point um yeah oh no yeah you you can't tell me they didn't know they were they were sick uh and for them to be in the room of 100 people and that happened yeah uh that's how the fucking stand starts that is that is exactly right like <laughs> that is the beginning of a Stephen fucking King novel and here we are like Oh, you know, I, I'm I'm sick, but I really need to go to that to that meeting to throw points on a story so that my opinion is heard. No, you stay home. Send send a pigeon. Send smoke signals. Whatever you got to do. Do not come to the office. Even if you've flown in for you know like the special big important meeting, if you've flown in but you get sick from between the time you land and the time you're supposed to go. We'll figure something out. Like, do not come and plop yourself down in the middle of a room full of 100 people and spread what is essentially, at this point, a deadly influenza around. Right. Yeah, I remember one trip we were on, uh, and, and it wasn't infectious, but uh, yeah, we were, <laughs> we were around Boston, and uh, somebody had some takeout clams, and I had a few of them. And uh, everybody else, everybody else had them. I wasn't the only one. Maybe I ate a couple more because you know I you know, you know fried fried seafood. I'm all over like white on rice, but uh, but yeah, I got sick that night. I got so so sick that night. Uh, probably the second sickest I have ever been. Um, and we still had a meeting the next day. Uh, I just you know I. I I called the powers of B and said, hey, uh, do you want a puke and or a poo-free meeting tomorrow? (laughs) Would you like your meeting to be free of vomit and or shit? Please press one. Clearly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. That would be a great automated menu. Um but no, so I, I didn't go to that meeting. And you know what? 
The meeting went on without me. In fact, it may have it may have gone better without me there. Who knows? They usually do. Yeah. You you are you're known to be quite a disruptive influence. Exactly. Just if you're sick, stay home. Maybe if it's like your own thing that you know, maybe it's a chronic condition or it's something that is not infectious. If your doctor says that it's that it's you're the only one that's gonna suffer for it, eh, that's that's your own decision. Uh, but if it's infectious, I don't care what it is. You now, there is an interesting side note, because I like to put the twist in here. Okay. And I learned something not too long ago. So, you could be doing a service to anybody who's got late-stage syphilis. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's an interesting... It's a, one of those interesting little bits of of historical uh, trivia. Um, they found that high fevers would uh, treat a lot of uh, diseases, at least during the early part of the 20th century, and very specifically syphilis, late stage neurosyphilis. Um, there was a doctor, uh, Julius Wagner Jorig who had noticed that uh, patients under his care who had come down with malaria then showed improvement in their syphilis symptoms. Wow. And so he began purposely infecting his patients who had syphilis with malaria because malaria causes exceedingly high fevers and things like that. And the theory is that the high fever, which is the body's natural immune response system trying to basically bake out the bad right, uh, and raise your, your operating temperature to above what the bacteria and or virus can withstand, right? apparently syphilis is relatively uh, prone to dying off at high temperatures. And so if you can get the body to rise to a high enough temperature, it'll treat syphilis. So, <laughs> oh my god! Did, did, okay, I think well, did the did the patients know they were being infected with malaria? Oh, not at first. Okay, this there it is. That's this what is I the early twenty. This is the twenties, man. <laughs> There's the kicker. <laughs> this is back when shady shit went on all the time. This guy was like, "Hmm, this dude got malaria and improved a little bit with his syphilis symptoms. I'm hmm. just gonna." <laughs> Rub some of this malaria sock over here on this other bastard and see what happens. And boy, and then they gave him a goddamn Nobel Prize for it. <laughs> it's like, it's like uh, uh, doctor, I, I think I've got malaria. It's like, hmm, that's some shit. Yeah, that's that's terrible. Oh, look at that. Your syphilis is better. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, so coming to the office when you're sick and can possibly infect other people is almost always an asshole move <laughs> unless one of your co-workers has late-stage syphilis. <laughs> oh my God. How do you start that discussion? Uh, is it something that you kind of like like toss out every now and then? Like, you know, hey guys, I, I'm really sick with, with the flu, uh, 103 temperature fever. Uh, I'm going to stay home uh, unless Susie... Uh, how's your how's your syphilis is it late stage yet no okay uh fine i'll stay home yeah yeah it's not not gonna help you i mean yet. Now, it, it is one of the hallmarks of a high functioning team that that team can <laughs> share uh their syphilis not like share their syphilis but 
that is not that is not a hallmark of a high functioning team. <laughs> Share whether or not they have syphilis. Right, right. That that shows a good amount of of rapport being built at the team level. Exactly. Oh my god, share their fucking syphilis. <sighs> then again, we've got antibiotics that can treat syphilis now. So, you know, it's just, it depends on if you want to get weird and historical about it. Half a dozen one way, six the other. Oh. All right. So, stay home if you can. If not, stay home anyway. All right. Uh, you want to hit me with a question from the audience, Frank? All right, let's see. Uh, we'll go for the audience question. This one was sent in by Mel M. Okay. When you sit next to people at work and they start gossiping and being high school teens, <laughs> should you say something and risk a bad relationship with them? Hmm. Hmm. So this is not them being a party to the gossip. They're just adjacent to the gossip. Yeah, if you are if you are gossip adjacent, or if we want to take this exceedingly literally, if people at work suddenly become high schoolers, <laughs> aging in reverse and or some sort of the movie big situation, uh huh, should you say something about that? Uh, I think I'd have a hard time not you know addressing the fact that they are rapidly Benjamin buttoning. That's kind of a tough situation. Uh, now, if the gossip is about you, uh, I think the situation's a little cut and dry. Uh, I mean, if, go... if you're within hearing distance of gossip about you, that's right. just sort of them uh, calling you out. Mm. So I, I thought that, that this was something that we would be, uh, you know, like, okay, you, you're gossip about, about me, trial by combat type of thing. No, uh, you, you raise a valid point. Like, in... In moderation, gossip could be a tool. Yeah, it's like, uh, uh, well, I don't, I don't want to get as serious as uh, somebody who has like a BO problem because like that, that can be, <laughs> that, that is something that legitimately would need to be addressed like with, with a lot of tact and being very polite because some people don't know that, that they stank. Uh, that, that happens occasionally. Uh, more often than I think... It should happen. Uh, if you make it to your 30s and you don't realize that you, that you stank, uh, somebody didn't love you enough. Um, Rick, I would have a conversation with you right now, but I literally can't fucking breathe because <laughs> Derek's B.O. is gagging me out. <laughs> he has established a force field of funk, and it is literally keeping me from approaching you. I, I don't know. For... For the subject of if they're gossiping about other people at the office, I mean, from a managerial standpoint, that's the kind of thing you don't want to see going on. Right. Because that leads to uh, a relatively hostile working environment, and it begins to uh, infect other people. Right. Uh, if, if you've got bad actors that establish that it's okay to form clicks and begin, you know, talking bad about other people and things like that, that eventually evolves into situations in which you end up losing workers. Right. Because either, people leave either, the office. You know, somebody like the the question asker, uh, they're tired of hearing it and they leave, or the person being gossiped about just knows that it's a hostile work environment and they leave. 
Yeah, I, I think there's also another element of if the gossip is like about somebody that works there and a or about somebody that's just a and an unknown third party. Um, if it's an unknown third party that you know it is not known to the business and you don't know them, uh, then they're just annoying people that you don't necessarily like. Right. Exactly. Uh, that's not, that's not necessarily, I mean, it, it kind of shows you the type of people that they are, uh, but it doesn't necessarily, uh, create a hostile work environment. Um, but no, if they're, if they're sitting there gossiping about, um, about Dylan from accounting, um, and how he can't keep, seem to keep a girlfriend, um, talking about you, Dylan, <laughs> I see your Tinder profile. Very active. Dylan knows what he's doing. Dylan, Dylan knows what he's doing. Um, in that case, uh, it depends on the, the the physical layout of the office. Uh, if you are at a you know at a break break room table, something like that, uh, the only real course of action is to immediately stand up, flip over the table, hopefully spilling some sort of like soup <laughs> or liquid on them, because um, that's a very proper response to to hearing uh, hearing bullshit in your presence. But no, if you're you're like. Um, if you're in like a cubicle or something like that, you hear it from the the next cubicle over. Um, look around your desk. Uh, find some projectiles. Um, I don't know, like a snot rag, something. Just there just we go. Something that that you know that wouldn't necessarily cause physical harm, um, but would either be uncomfortable or messy or gross. Just just go ahead and just lob it over the wall. Or if you want to get technical and medieval about it, you know. Take a little time, because they're probably going to be there a while. Take a little time, construct a little catapult or a trebuchet, and just start, like, flinging shit across the cubicle. Now, if you've got the comedic styling for it, this is also a great opportunity to clap back. <laughs> to what? So, you, you know, you hear them, they're over there trash-talking somebody, and then you're just like, I don't know, Janice, are you necessarily the person to be fucking talking about whether or not someone can get a date with your snaggly ass teeth over there? <laughs> so just like c- coming in from the sidelines, throwing shade. Exactly. Okay. You, you just come in from a bleak angle and, and just take somebody out. <laughs> just become the office heckler. Just be like, you know, just do drive-bys. It's like... <laughs> Doesn't feel fucking good, does it, Janice? <laughs> Shane, you the one to talk. <laughs> now that I can certainly get behind. Uh, might make so, for some slightly awkward, uh, slightly awkward. You and I, I think that, you, that you're right. Like you have to have the comedic timing, comedic chops. Um, not everybody can do it because you have to have a certain amount of skill. Like, as you don't want to like truly air like bad dirty laundry like you want it to be kind of one of those things that can be kind of laughed off uh but if you're like outing somebody for like embezzlement in one of your (laughs) one of your laugh tracks uh maybe that's the wrong time to drop the bomb (laughs) brad can't get a date janice but what about that ten thousand dollars you embezzled from the petty cash fund over the course of the last ten and a half years (laughs) <laughs> yeah that that's not that's not shade that's uh that's submitting evidence i believe yeah um, i think that's beginning a formal inquiry exactly yeah. now while you're beginning a formal inquiry on these people 
you can sort of whisper that to yourself <laughs> in HR while you're right. filling out the paperwork <laughs> to get them busted for it. <laughs> yeah, I guess I haven't really had a lot of like high school type uh, gossipers around. Counter gossip. Okay, so you, so you, you mean... begin your own gossip loudly from your cubicle. <laughs> I mean, I now, think that works even if there's nobody else there. Right. <laughs> gossiping to yourself about the other people in a in a counter gossip measure. Exactly. So so would it need to be true or can you just kind of make stuff up on the spot? No, I mean I think the best kind of gossip is the kind of gossip that you've made up on the spot. Mhm. Just you know start creating some uh some office relationship rumors. Well, none this, I guess not even really rumors at that point. You're just literally shouting it to the people next to you. <laughs> shouting it to anybody within <laughs> ear distance. We know what you did with that zebra, Rick. <laughs> oh, no. Oh. I, I assume that we're taking the high road here, and it was that he bought a zebra and tried to, you know, make it his, his uh, conveyance to work. And yes, not the he other... tried to ride the zebra. See, that doesn't even work, because that's not clear either. That could still be gross. That could be gross, Frank. Hey, now, I didn't go there. You went there. What does that say about you, Derek? I know. Now who's getting put on blast? (laughs) Heard you talking shit about me, Frank. (laughs) Want to go to an issue from the internet? Let's do that. All right. uh, I've got one from user... Stark Reality 727. Uh, Game so he, of Thrones fan, I see. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, def- or he is uh, is a jumbo jet in which they play Game of Thrones on the little TVs. Uh, ever shake hands with someone that squeezes obnoxiously hard? What's the proper response? Every time I meet this client of mine, his handshake is like a bear claw. Not the pastry, like an actual claw of a bear. Like he's trying to crush my arm and take it with him. This is not quite like the the Donald handshake where he pulls you closer to him, but kind of similar. This guy almost tried to crush your hand and not necessarily pull it closer. What's the best response here? Do I squeeze harder back or just shrug it off? I'm a stocky guy, six foot five, and I've always considered my handshake to be firm, but appropriate. This guy might suffer from little man syndrome. He can't be taller than five foot four, but he has, has these bear claws and he is built more like a small bear. Might be his attempt to overcome his insecurities? All right, my first thought, actual bear in a trench coat in a hat. <laughs> well, Paddington style. I mean, I, 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 I'm not disagreeing with you here, but like, it's saying that he's five foot four, and he's, he's clear, I mean, I assume he's bipedal, uh, you know, maybe a bear would be five foot four on all fours, but standing five foot four on two legs, like maybe I, I you know, you're right. Maybe he's an adolescent bear just trying to find himself. Uh, and so he's and trying. Then he can't help it. He yeah, can't, he can't help it. That's just the way he's built. He's just trying the business world, trying to see, figure out his path in life. And uh, obviously a trip through um, some sort of professional setting is just another stepping stone along his journey. Um. I mean, I don't think we've got enough information to to tell this 
you know, is this person going on constantly about salmon? Uh, have they mauled any coworkers savagely? Do they have a jar of honey uh, that they occasionally just uh, just kind of reach a a bear claw like hand into and and eat some? Do they have a, a small friend who looks uh, strangely like a like a pig? Piglet. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I was going for hey boo boo. <laughs> okay, yeah, that probably is uh, is the the funnier of the two. But one funny thought I did have about uh, about Winnie the Pooh. It's kind of funny that he has a uh, a little pig friend. Uh, if Pooh was an actual bear, like he would have just he would have eaten that little son of a bitch. Like, well, I think he would have eaten some of the some of the other animals too. I mean, there's like a little fucking rabbit and an owl. <laughs> yeah, I guess donkey. they couldn't. I guess they couldn't make Winnie the Pooh too uh, too realistic because it would literally just be a show about him by himself with the bones of the other <laughs> of the other animals of the Hundred Acre Woods scattered around him. <laughs> He'd be sitting on a pile of animal bones <laughs> or stuffing. I want to say that they're all supposed to be stuffed animals, so just a bunch That's of eviscerated true. plush animals. Yeah, I, I forgot about that. That okay, that makes a little more sense, but uh but no. No, just just with him sitting on a, a pile on on his throne of uh of animal bones. But no, I, I think I've I've met some guys like this in the past. Um not necessarily the you know, super small guys or th- anybody anybody of any height or stature, um there there's a chance that they feel intimidated or inferior or something good and (laughs) uh and they feel like they want to you know prove themselves or that the only way they think that they can have you know a significant value or significant um standing in the workplace is by you know sheer intimidation or asshole moves it's kind of hard to that's kind of hard to, to traverse because, you know, if they're somebody that's uh, on your same level, yeah, not not too too hard to uh, to fix that one because, you know, it's like, hey, you know, we we have the same exact job. Like, you are you're being a little bit of a douche. Stop shaking my hand so hard, uh, or you you can approach it even more gingerly uh, if if you want to at least assume that they're not intentionally being an asshole you know if they are being an asshole then you, know, you can ratchet up the uh the counter assholishness as much as you want to um but uh but no if if they're your boss or somebody that's like you know, kind of upwards and over in the organization ah yeah that's that's a little bit tougher um it can be tougher if it's your boss because otherwise i would say that the only response is to crush their hand until you can feel the bones of their joints becoming powder in your grip. That's the I, only possible response, unless, of course, it's your supervisor. Yeah, you want you want his hands to be uh, supple and pliable for when when he's typing in his you know, in payroll. That's true. If you can't put if you can't like physically like enter in your hours for the week. That might be uh, might be a detrimental. So unless you like crush his non-dominated hand, and if it's hand. a small guy and he's your supervisor, I can see that's probably you know I could see a smaller 
person going for the dominance play like right you know i've i've got to do this because i feel intimidated right it's tough going through the world i mean six five i guess is is all right (laughs) coming from a man who is you know may not be a mountain but at least is a uh you know some sort of smaller mountain range yourself i'm a foothill or so i don't know (laughs) but and that's that's the thing i've run up against you know some people want to call it the small man syndrome or just You know, guys who are feeling a little, well, a lot of guys move through the world with their egos just sort of delicately placed in front of them like a fine piece of fucking china. Right. <laughs> and they they find someone who's bigger than them, and for whatever reason, they take that as a deflatement of their ego. Right. And they feel like they've got to do something to get back over. It's like, I'm a big guy, but I know there are bigger guys out there. And or, <laughs> you know, I know there are taller people. I know there are heavier people. I know there are people who are more muscular. It just happens. Like, there's always going to be somebody out there. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm not, you know, the best of all of them. Right. Uh, I just have that <laughs> confidence within myself. I don't need to project that outward. Your humility is is truly something uh, to admire, Frank. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm humble about it. Humble brag. No, but I I think you're exactly right. I think that yeah, you know, there's some folks just it take you know their their physical manifestation of their form as you know something to either be you know proud of or ashamed of or or whatnot. Um, and I don't know. As somebody who has always been either, you know, I've I've had self-esteem problems in the past where I was, you know, in high school and whatnot, I was I was bigger than I than most of my peers and maybe I got picked on a bit, things like that. Uh sometimes your physical form gets in the way of, you know, of who you feel like you are on the inside. Um and, you know, if you are a bear, a literal bear on the inside, uh, you know, just just trapped in a human body, then by all means, you know, crush other people's hands because that's just, it's less you trying to assert dominance and more just you enjoying the, you know, the, the tactile feel of, of, you know, crunching bones and things like that. Um, th- this could definitely be an outward manifestation of internal, internal shit this guy is working out. Um, if this guy has made a career of it, like if this is just this guy's persona, he does this, everybody like his reputation precedes him. Um, yeah, then, then you just crush that tiny little man hand as hard as you can. <laughs> you just, just return that with as much gusto as you possibly can muster. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to read through some of the, uh, the responses to see, uh, some other things, but, but yeah, it looks like the consensus is by far just crush the guy. So, you know, Frank, when you and I met uh, a few years ago, right. uh, I, I immediately noticed that you were a, uh, a large statured man. Um, very, very tall, um, very, very broad about the shoulders and me being a, a, maybe a normal heighted, uh, large statured man. Um, you know, while your physical frame isn't intimidating, 
um, you know, I, I did not feel the need to uh, roll over and expose my soft uh, underbelly flesh so that you will not kill me. Um, you know, I, I've over time, maybe that was my I've own hubris to the point where I don't require that from everyone who, you know, comes into my presence. Right. Mostly because it's, it's a fucking time sink. <laughs> All that groveling and, cause I, I think you'd like, you'd go to the supermarket and you'd be asking somebody, it's like, Hey, uh, where, where are the, uh, the Mandarin oranges? Oh God. Oh, oh God. Now it's, he's on the floor. <sighs> Please stop. Please. Jesus. Just- I just need to know where the oranges... Yes, yes, I understand. But where are the oranges? <laughs> that, could, that could cause a lot of problems for you. I, I, I can see that. No, but uh, but yeah, um, you know, I, I did not feel that you were uh, somebody that I needed to, to conquer to show my uh, superiority. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure we shook hands uh, while we were... <laughs> since we both started on the same day. Yep. Uh, sh- shook hands of, of two strangers and... Uh, didn't know you were going to be working around me. Um, maybe if I had known that you were going to be uh, my scrum master, I might have been, you know, throwing my weight around a little bit more or tried to um, just to see how much purchase I could find. Um, of course, then, you know, I, I would need uh, medical assistance to return to my cube. Um, exactly. Like, I'm glad that you didn't because, as you said, we ended up working together and then I would have been like, fuck. <laughs> Now I've got a one-handed developer. <laughs> right. <laughs> what the hell am I going to do with that? <laughs> I have a, a a developer with multiple crushed limbs. Yeah, that's inefficient. I try to avoid inefficiencies where possible. <laughs> well, so, you know, I, like I said, I, I am a uh, relatively normal-heighted person. Uh, I mean, how have, have you ran to anybody that has done that to you in the past or tried to? Oh, yeah. I mean, that it's something that happens to me not infrequently, especially meeting people. Uh, as I said, there's a lot of guys out there who wear their fragile egos, uh, you know, this male fragility on their sleeve. And they, they you know, especially out drinking. It happened a lot more often right. when I was in bars. Yeah, uh, more often than I am these days. Oh yeah, I can imagine that being a, a, a much more uh, a place that would bring that out a lot more quickly than an office yeah, place. You get a couple of drinks in them, and they're like, "Oh, I'm going to come over here, and I'm going to shake your hand, and I'm going to show you that I've been, you know, taking it to the gym, and I've been working <laughs> out." And here's the thing: most of the time, I've just got superior leverage and surface area. <laughs> Just, just physical, just, just physical hand size. Like you the, can be sitting there with one of those spring-loaded things, just <laughs> you know, just, just fucking down. racking it, and it's not going to necessarily help you any when your fingers don't go all the way across my palm. Like <laughs> it's like a, it's like a toddler holding its 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 daddy's hand. <laughs> it's like, oh, that that's cute. That. Is this what passes for, you know, adult male hands these days? <laughs> and it's just something that's never necessarily impressed me. Right. Uh, you know, it's it's not the kind of thing where I'm like, ah, yeah, he uh, he gave a really good firm handshake. He must be, uh, you know, a manly man and I'll give him respect. Usually it has the, the opposite of the intended reaction. You know, they're trying to show how manly they are. And right. in 
in attempting to show how manly they are by one-upping me in the manliness, they've just managed to demonstrate that they're insecure. Right. Yeah, and I think that you, you bring up a really good point, um, is that it it may not be like wholly generational because I think that, um, you know, everybody, you know, every generation has its outliers and maybe this is part of it. But, uh, you know, you have, um, you know, some generations that would, that have been taught that physical, you know, physical outward displays of masculinity, you know, give you, maybe give you value, give you station. Um, so that kind of like, you know, toxic masculinity, um, that's, that's been bred into, certain generations or certain populaces or, uh, just, you know, parent to parent, you know, get, get somebody who has a, you know, a jerk dad that just wants to, you know, he likes to shit on people and he wants to make sure his, his son likes to shit on people too. Um, you know, maybe, maybe this guy that, you know, the, the guy who's trying to crush the other guy's hand, maybe he had, you know, maybe he had a dad who literally they would have before he was allowed to eat, uh, food at the dinner table, he would have to cause physical harm to his father's hand through a handshake. <laughs> he would have to earn his meals uh, through that. So um, it's it's unlikely that uh, trial by handshake was part of his his meal, but but it could have been. You, you don't know. Um, but yeah, that that kind of outward display of like toxic masculinity. Um, luckily, for the most part, I've I've dodged most of that. Um, I guess because I don't really exude like manliness in any shape, form or fashion. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, uh, you know, you really only want to like, you only want to play a game if it's going to be a challenge. Uh, so somebody might come up to me and, and realize, Oh, uh, this will not be a contest. Um, I, I'm not really in the mood to take candy from a baby. So just gonna, just not going to do it this time. No. So that, that may have been my, uh, my artificial, um, deterrent for things like that it's like it's like well i mean sure i'm i am more manly than than this adult man child um so yeah that 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 gains me no bonus points yeah i think you're always free to when they bring the noise to (laughs) respond right in kind so they they tried to bring you know the super firm handshake you can go ahead and put them on their knees. Right. Uh, it's it's when you start doing that around, because here's the thing. There's always going to be a bigger guy. Right. There's always going to be, you know, some dude who, who's been taking it to the gym more than you. Right. And if if you're going around and because you're able to, you know, squeeze down this dude and you're that becomes your thing you're going to end up running into somebody that you can't do that to. And so right. it's just better to not start at all. Yeah, because because once you do run into somebody that is not going to put up with your shit, like you may you may be pers- permanently disfigured. You may by... end up running into that actual bear in a trench coat. Right. I think that in this case uh and if if it's not something that I would have done before, uh, I think I will do this now. You know, the kind of the, the Justin Trudeau, the, the PM of Canada, take take his approach uh, to when you whenever you come up to somebody who is trying to exert dominance by a handshake, you, you just kind of go a little maybe a little further than he did and and wrap them in a warm, loving embrace. They go for the handshake. 
maybe meet them, but then just kind of keep keep going. Just just pull it on in. Just 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 wrap your warm arms around them. I found that knows? works really well. Where you know they they go in for the super strong handshake, and then I just pull them into the hug, <laughs> and it's not like the bear hug. It's right. the slow hug where I'm just like, shh, shh, let it happen, let it happen, and and who knows? Who maybe maybe that uh, all that bravado in the moment of of true tenderness between you know two adults, uh, maybe he will it will all fall away, uh, and he'll just start sobbing, and you'll be able to help him through a, a moment of very uh, important major growth. Yeah, he'll start telling you about his family life and how about he doesn't feel appreciated. He just wants to be, he's aggressive because he thinks that it makes people notice him. And before that meeting's out, uh, you won't be able to stick to the, to the agenda for sure. Like <laughs> that, that agenda you have for the meeting is gone. It is now a therapy session. But on the other side of it, maybe he turns into the man that he always was meant to be. The, the respectful, you know, good guy who, you know, shakes appropriately but maybe he will also be uh turn him into a hugger which i am all for you could save a life (laughs) by hugging uh or you could just end up giving a lot of really uncomfortable hugs look i am a consensual hugger of uh of my male co-workers uh there are a few guys that i've built up a lot of rapport and normally I'll let, I'll let my coworkers, you know, hug me first. You know, I'm, I'm not just going to be like, you got to feel them out. got to figure out who's, who's okay for the hug. Uh, and we're not talking to like, you know, Hey, good morning. How's your weekend? Hug, hug, hug. Like, you know, haven't seen them <laughs> for a few months. Like that's an okay hugging situation. That is, it's cool to have you back. Like hug it out. But no, I, I'm not going to say that I have not misread a cue and you know thought somebody was going in for like the the one-armed you know the the handshake and the one-arm hug uh all of a sudden to be like have my hand on the shoulder and them like looking awkward already like looking physically uncomfortable already see what Um, i'm hearing here derek is that you're the office creeper (laughs) i'm not the office creeper you're the office creeper Look, I even said that I was the lovable office mate. We established I, earlier that you had the finger guns. You got the <laughs> finger guns and the unwanted hugs. <laughs> I'm trying to build a brand, but this is not the brand I was trying to build, Frank. You don't you don't get to choose the brand. The brand <sighs> chooses you. I want to I want a refund. Now you're the pay. hugger. <laughs> the finger guns and hugger guy. I mean, I guess I could do worse, like Maybe the handshaker is not quite as deplorable as uh, the the finger gun and uh, uh, overly huggy guy. Now we're going to have to bring it back around, Derek, because the only way that you can escape from this, I imagine, <laughs> is to handshake people with a too firm grip. <laughs> I, uh, I'll have to do some forceful rebranding. Exactly. Hmm. And now we know where he got it. <laughs> he He... He was, he got too close and was, was too open with people and, and he got hurt. And so now he keeps people at a distance by trying to crush their fingers. Exactly. Hmm. Sympathy for the devil. (laughs) Even knowing all this though, I'd still crush the fuck out of his hand. (laughs) 
as well you should. All right. Well, I think we've squeezed uh, just about enough out of this handshake question as we possibly can. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) Send your questions on workplace or lifestyle issues to questions at WLICast.com. This has been the Work-Life Imbalance Podcast. I'm Frank Eastman. I'm Derek Lewis. And with that... I think we're going to have to transfer you.